just give me Tilda Swinton anytime. I will I will gladly have her. Um, <laughs> Did, didn't she feel like if she had been doing like Mickey Rooney's yellow face, in, in, <laughs> like she would have barely had to change her outfit? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking it about was, that when I saw it. It was an homage, clearly, to <laughs> Oh man, that's funny. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special bonus uh, listener-requested episode of the Spoiler Warning Podcast. I am Christopher Schnazy. I'm Carson Patrick. And I'm Stephen Miller. If you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Uh, This time, we are talking about uh, something that came to theaters a little while ago, uh, but... Um, is currently available on Video On Demand. Uh, you can get it in iTunes and other places like that. So, um, But we had uh, listener Gary from Melbourne, Australia. He wrote us in an email that I'm going to attempt to read live on the podcast, but I suck reading live, so uh, please bear with me. He says, I remember you guys mentioned seeing Snowpiercer in one of your episodes. I was wondering if you guys were planning to do a full review of it. I saw it two weeks back and have to say this movie is one of the biggest surprises for me this year. Uh, what a weird yet amazing and thought-provoking film. The thematic richness and crazy ideas in this multi-layer narrative could make for some very interesting discussions uh, between you guys if you guys reviewed it. I know I'd love to hear your take on the film. As always, thanks for the show and keep up the great work. Uh, we'll make you Gary. And uh, yeah, we are here to talk about the film because you requested it and hopefully you guys enjoy it. Like we said, the film's been out for a while, but it is available on video on demand right now if you have not seen it. So... This will be your opportunity. How are you guys doing, um, us on the podcast here? I'm doing well. (laughs) (laughs) I thought Steven was going to take it, take charge for once. I thought thought we have an implicit agreement that Carson Carson answers. It's written into my contract that I answer first. I'm I'm doing great. (laughs) I'm doing great. I feel good. Uh, I woke up. We all woke up a little earlier than we normally do for recording. Um, so the first one I felt a little groggy, and now I'm I'm wide awake and rearing to go. Well, you got your second espresso going, so... <laughs> piercing, piercing through the ice of tiredness. True, yeah. Well, I actually, you know, I wanted to give myself the uh, the feeling of being on in the tail of the snow piercer. So uh, last night... <laughs> Like, I was just about getting ready to go to bed, and it was, like, around midnight, and uh, Steven sends little text messages to Carson and I. He's like, hey, could we record, like, an hour earlier tomorrow? And, like, I said, sure. I, like, stepped back, and, and you know, I, my, you know, my studio is also my room, um, for those people who, who don't know that already. And to go to sleep, I have to, like, move stuff around and set up a bed that is usable. But I was really tired, and I was like, cool, we're going to get up a little bit early in the morning. It's not too bad. And I kind of like laid back on the floor for a little bit and then woke up this morning at like six o'clock just in a pile on the floor, on the floor of the studio. What, was the window open? The window was freezing open. cold? Uh, it, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. And, it, and I slept for a lot longer than seven minutes. So um, as you can imagine, some bad things could have happened to me. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say you prepared last night for this movie by eating like gross protein blocks bars. of protein bars. 
You're like, mmm, I made my own protein bars and chowing down. <laughs> well, this happens to be one of the one days a year that we serve sushi in the studio. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I got to grub down on some of that. Yes, thank, mm-hmm. thank you, Sushi Planet, uh, for Man, catering. If you, if you had asked me to predict whether or not, when this movie started, whether or not it would include a scene of eating sushi, I would have given you such low odds on that happening. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's too bad you didn't take that bet because uh... <laughs> here we are. Yeah. But anyways, yes, we are we are here and we are excited to do this review for you guys. Um, if anybody else has, basically, we're going to extend this out to everybody. I haven't talked this over with you guys yet, but I'm assuming that you guys would be cool with this. If there is any film that we miss that is widely available, um, you know, after the fact, like, you know, if things like enemy uh under the skin things like that that came out in really limited release that you know the two of uh carson and i or steven also have seen and you are interested in having us here are full here are full thoughts on that film you can email fans at the spoilerly.com or use the contact page on our site and send us an email and ask us for that review and time permitting <laughs> we will try to get that to you um are you guys cool with that yeah yeah all right. I assume so, but I was going to put you on the spot, so you couldn't really say no. Oh, no. I'm just trying to encourage interaction between, you know, our listeners and ourselves. So. Indeed. But anyways, Snowpiercer, you guys. You ready to get a hop on board and uh, start careening around the I'm ready. planet talking about this film? Yeah. Den- yeah. Denzel's yeah, at I'm the helm. Right. <laughs> uh, unless you should... Should we set the stage with the the controversy surrounding this movie and why it's appearing so late? Or uh, I I don't know if Carson's already going to take that, but I think that that has a big part to do with all of the attention this movie has been getting. Is that uh, originally I believe it came out in 2012 or 2013 in Korea, um, and the Weinstein Corporation bought the rights to it wanted to make cuts to the movie okay and the director refused and it's been sitting in like this standoffish place for like a year and a half now in this weird purgatory of uh is it going to be released at all is one of them gonna budge on it uh so i i do want to say first that it's very cool to see this movie actually come out in the way the director wanted it to yeah Uh, yeah i think it was weinstein zero it got released uh last summer in korea and then it's just now getting released here this summer mm-hmm. but yeah i'm glad that uh they wanted to make it like some 90 minute uh i guess you know chop it up and make it a, like a, a shorter version i guess to to release it in uh you know more mainstream capacity but i really don't think you could do that with this movie um mm-hmm. so i'm glad that they I'm glad that he won, you know, and fought and got, you know, his vision put out there. But is there any film that the Weinsteins bought the distribution rights for, or the producing rights or whatever for, and uh, forced it to be edited down and people actually like that edited version better than the original or the, the, the version that eventually gets released on DVD? Well, I... I mean, I can't think of anything off the top of my head other than that they wanted to Did- do the whole King Speech thing and bleep out or cut out all the F words to get a PG-13 so that more did, f- families could see it. But, I mean, I don't think anyone appreciated that. Yeah. Did, did they do something with Grindhouse? I feel like... So I know I know, I have a personal vendetta against them because I was going to a midnight screening of Grindhouse 
and I drove all the way down to La Jolla, which at the time I was a high schooler, that was like a pretty big commitment. Um, <laughs> and then when I got there, there was a sign saying the midnight showing had been canceled by the Weinstein Corporation. What? Uh, and ever since then, I've hated them. <laughs> and anyway, I thought I heard that they did. They were trying to have some kind of edits done on Grindhouse. I, I'm not sure if they succeeded in that or not. That... That didn't happen. I, I don't know about the whole canceling the midnight shows. I know they've done that for other movies. Um, and maybe that's just, a, you know, they don't want the word to get out. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Grindhouse isn't a movie that's like Vampire Academy, which they don't want, you know, negative buzz to, to kill it. But um, I know that there was the whole thing with Grindhouse when they released it on DVD they did not release it as a whole at at first. They released the two movies uh, separately, and then it wasn't until a couple years later they finally released Grindhouse as it was in the theater um, on Blu-ray and DVD. So, like, that was a... I know fans and, and everyone were not pleased with that because they, you know, they wanted to see it how they did in the theaters. Um and I did too. Like I remember, like I just was like, okay, well, they'll probably eventually enough people will, you know, complain and they'll they'll release it. I, I mean, it. I guess it makes sense from a marketing standpoint. Like you want to get the most out of your movie since the movie didn't do well in theaters, you know. Uh, but yeah, I know that that was kind of a controversy. But a- any hoot. Uh, well, you know, to, to play play devil's advocate just a tiny bit as far as Snowpiercer goes, uh, people are a lot more arguing over climate change now than they were you know, like a year ago. So maybe it worked out. <laughs> a clever ploy, right? But it, I mean, I don't think Snowpiercer would ever play like a Transformers or something. You know, like I don't. I never saw it being a movie released on like 3,000 screens and and uh, people into like, you know, who are going to see a popcorn movie. I don't think that, you know, it would play that way. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, why bother cutting it down to try and, you know, make it play that way? It's like, I think the people who will want to see it will go see it. And, uh, you know, releasing it on VOD is a good thing because... Either way, Transformers is three hours, so editing down doesn't mean anything nowadays. Like they're, <laughs> True. They're, yeah. they're, they're big blockbuster popcorn movies are all three hours already, so I don't know. Yeah, but, but, but you know what I mean. Like, the people who are going to go see Ninja Turtles aren't going to be, you know, they're not going to go into Snowpiercer. Be- yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, you wouldn't go into Snowpiercer hoping for the same sort of popcorn type of uh, entertainment as Ninja Turtles. I don't know, man. Captain America's in it. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah, All right. and uh, um, the other girl from uh, Scott Pilgrim. Anywho, <laughs> all right. Let, let's listen to the trailer for Snowpiercer, and then speed on in to the review and let everybody know what we thought. This chaos, a thousand people in an iron box. Eighteen years I've hated the train. 18 years I've waited for this moment. This is your world. The train saved humanity. The engine lasts forever. The population must always be kept in balance. I said sit down. Passengers, eternal order flows from the sacred engine. We must occupy 
our preordained position. I belong to the front. You belong to the tail. Know your place. Keep your place. Those bastards in the front think they own us. We'll be different when we get there. What do you say? We take the engine and we control the world. When is the time? Soon. Disorder. We're going to the front. Open the gate. We know you well, Mr. Curtis. We've been watching you. Precisely 74% of you shall die. Everybody back! I'm not a leader. You're ready, Harley. All right, so you just listened to the trailer for Snowpiercer. Um, this film uh, is set uh, last month in July of 2014. And uh, basically, you know, everybody's like all freaking out because of this global warming thing. So scientists create this chemical, which is going to bring the temperatures, the global temperatures down to a meaningful uh, level, something that is, you know, better conducive to us, like having a happy existence. Unfortunately, as, you know, science generally goes wrong, uh, they accidentally plunge the world into, uh, you know, like a giant freeze-over. We're talking, like, uh, day after tomorrow style, like, everyone dies. Except for a few people who st- uh, stepped on board this train called the Snowpiercer. And this is a machine, a big train, travels around the world and is keeping the last remnants of humanity alive inside of it. But, you know, things might not be too great for all the people on board the Snowpiercer. Because, you know, there's the people in the front... There's the people in the back. People in the front are the 1%. People in the back are the 99%. And uh, basically, it's hellish back there because, uh, you know, we're sitting there eating crappy protein bars and uh, it's not going so well. But, you know, Captain America is going to try to lead a revolt and take the train. And that is what this film is about. That attempt to equalize the balance between the people in the tail or the people in the head and the people in the tail. So, Carson, why don't you let us know what you thought of this film? Um, I thought it was a really great film, uh, excellent movie, uh, excellent sci-fi film, uh, you know, original piece of sci-fi, woo. Um, I will try to do my best to convey the multi-layered and rich themes that Gary wanted us to, since I have a, have a slim command on the English language, (laughs) I don't know how, I don't know how deep I can go. Uh, but, uh, you can do it in Korean if you're more comfortable. I, I should. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I did. I did go s- translators to, <laughs> <laughs> I did go see this movie in Koreatown and it was pretty cool because like, it was definitely a different experience cause it, they had like the Korean subs at the bottom. Um, so I, I got a very, it was very authentic, I guess. But, uh, uh when the, uh, when the, the usher for the movie opened the door for you did he put his hand out and say chrono (laughs) (laughs) 
He did, yeah. He was trying to get in, to get us into character and stuff. <laughs> um, anywho, uh, yeah, I thought it was a really great film. Um, I was excited to watch it. Um, I haven't seen his other movies, uh, the director, uh, Bong Joon-ho. Like, I've only seen The Host, which I thought was a really fantastic film. Not the one with Saoirse Ronan. <laughs> um that's based on a stephanie meyer book um the host uh i i thought that was just a really excellent film um i will say great. i would love to see him actually direct the host yeah like the, <laughs> like the, the new stephanie host Meyer's one. that would be a way better movie than what what it turned out um but yeah the host was a, a fantastic film a really great monster movie that that mashed uh kind of that genre with um like a like a family drama um, it was a really monster mash monster mash for sure it definitely really interesting tone um and i think this film uh you know a lot of directors who transition from you know to their first english language film a lot of them stumble and i feel like the the main problem is that their um their sense of style or their sense of you know uh their voice is, is sort of lost. Um, but I'm glad that it wasn't in this case. Uh, I think this is definitely, a like Calvary, a lot of dark themes and subject matter going down. Um, and I think it's handled very well. I think that, uh, the, the world building is really cool. Like the, the fact that, you know, this train is, you know, each, compartment is like its own class and uh you know as they progress up through the different compartments you know we get to see all the the different areas and it's really cool like the the set design and everything on some of these uh particularly the one that's like the school car which the school teacher that was allison pill that was who i was referring to as the other uh scott pilgrim cast member gotcha um she yeah like that scene was really cool um and it you know the the entire cast really uh really sells it uh, i thought tilda swinton was really awesome in this movie yeah um her character is just really great and and very unlikable uh in a good way um and i i don't care like i i would still take tilda swinton if she looked like this, like she is, she's like a Vera Farmiga to me. Like I'll just, just give me Tilda Swinton anytime. I will, I will gladly have her. Um, just throwing didn't it. Didn't she feel like just throwing it out there? You know, d- didn't she feel like if she had been doing like Mickey Rooney's yellow face, in, in, <laughs> like she would have barely had to change her outfit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking it about was, that when I saw it. It was an homage, clearly, to, to Oh man, that's funny. Um yeah. <laughs> I didn't even I never even th- thought of that. Um uh, Yes. But she's really good in the film and um Yeah, I don't know where I was going now. <laughs> You're distracted um, by thoughts. Sorry. Of I got so distracted I got thrown off by yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you have this. You just keep picturing her head knocking on your door, pulling out her teeth and going, "Yes, Cartish, Cartish." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, 
Oh, this is the perfect example, a film that uh, has some pretty, let's face it, has some pretty uh, subpar uh, CGI, um, but I think it's over, you can overlook it because the movie is so strong. Um, and it almost has like a weird like comic booky type of feel. Actually, isn't this based on a comic book? Yeah, or, it's like a graphic novel or something. Graphic novel, yeah. Mm-hmm. It kind of has that sort of feel. Um so it never really was distracting in any way, but it is, uh, it's definitely low budge. Um, but yeah, I, and there were, there were a couple scenes in the beginning, like when they were having like some fight scenes that had some really atrocious shaky cam, but thankfully that went away and it was okay. So there's, there's some minor technical things that I, you know, had, but they're way easy to overlook because... The movie as a whole uh, creates a very unique world and has uh, unique characters. And uh, Chris Evans really uh, is a solid lead in this film. I think he has he has a scene toward the end where he kind of breaks down and admits some very disturbing things that he's done that I thought was uh, really well delivered. Yeah, so, lucky Brendan Gleeson's there to give him absolution. <laughs> Brendan yeah, Gleeson yeah, was, was nice. there. <laughs> absolve him of all his sins um so yeah he was uh kudos to him so i'll give it to steven now uh yeah so i think i i definitely i liked this film i'm probably going to be a bit more lukewarm than carson and we'll we'll see about chris um so first i definitely thought it was a very interesting concept um it, it makes me want to read the graphic novel uh, just this this idea of people all being stuck on one train and the class system that develops there and how um, how every car is kind of its own little world with its own personality. Uh, and I thought that was realized very well in this film. Like, I thought the direction was spot on. Um, really vivid, striking imagery. Like, it starts out in the dark and they go to the next train and there's bright colors and the next train you see the the light of day for the first time uh, a lot of really cool things that were done within within the confines of the of the movie setting um at the same time none of the imagery felt particularly new to me like a lot of it felt like i had seen it done before in in similar situations which is a little hard to explain because i haven't i haven't watched the movies that would probably be most like this like a uh, under siege (laughs) 2 or or like um, meets day after tomorrow this is gonna be me really losing my nerd cred but isn't battlestar galactica a similar idea but they're on a spaceship instead of a train Uh, well i mean somewhat except the difference is this isn't like every x amount of time the snow and ice warps in and starts destroying all of humanity yeah. <laughs> again. They have to warp away to a random spot in the system. <laughs> that, that, that's true. It, I mean, yeah, it, like it, the, anyway. the, the cold isn't sentient. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so, so the broad plot was definitely very unique. The, the individual moments, like the, the fight scenes and the different, uh, the different trains, I, I kept feeling the imagery of other, other films. And maybe that was just me. Like the, uh, the scene where you're seeing the, uh, the children being educated or the first class people, I got very heavy Hunger Games vibes from those characters. Yeah. Um, Even Tilda Swinton's well, character is very, very yeah, yeah, Hunger very, Gamesy. Very like Hunger Gamesy or Oblivion, maybe the uh, 
the perfect utopia that's existing. Is that a spoiler for Oblivion? <laughs> I don't I don't know. Um or am I getting that confused with another movie? Uh anyway. Uh maybe? Yeah, I don't think there's perfect. Yeah, I don't remember utopian- a perfect utopia. What, what is the movie? Oh, I'm thinking Elysium. Never mind. Yeah, oh, Elysium. Okay, there you go. Different. A- anyway, all, all that to say, uh, it was all very cool and clearly his his unique style. I I'm glad they didn't tame it down. But at the same time, I didn't feel like it was mind-blowing or, uh, I, I don't know, the, the sort of thing. I, I think it received a ton of critical attention, partly as a backlash to the idea that it was going to be modified or not come out. And I'm not completely sure all of that would have felt earned if it had been released here to begin with, with a less known uh, director behind the behind the wheels. Um I thought it was really executed very well. Uh, some of the, the motivations for the characters, I had quite a bit of trouble getting behind, especially the villains in this movie. Um, there are ones where you have that kind of brainwashed feel about them, but there are others that just seem kind of like sadistic or violent in a way where they'll like, they'll grin and get ready for battle or just do things in a way that felt um felt like it, it made for a very cool action scene but maybe didn't didn't mesh with what i thought the movie was trying to convey but, but uh, if you, and, and some of it, it some of it at least for me like the heavy violence i i won't say it got a little overwhelming like i, I definitely have a strong strong tolerance for violence but it felt a little repetitive sometimes like the the axe fight that goes on for a really really long time and the uh the shootouts and stabbings um I will say I found the last half hour extremely compelling. Like when the scenes that Carson is mentioning, when Chris Evans really opens up about about the history, I I was fully on board for that. I thought I thought that and the the introduction of Wilford and um, getting a little bit more of the backstory of why why the world runs the way it is and what what this is all about. Uh, I really loved the sci-fi elements of that. Uh, I just wish maybe more of the movie I could have watched through that lens of what was happening and maybe traded a little bit of the of the action scenes to get more of that fleshed out. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, everyone was definitely fully on board for this. Uh, the acting was great, even if I thought some of the dialogue, especially in the first 90 minutes or so, was a little, like, ham-fisted. But that's also kind of the point. This isn't a deeply philosophic musing this is a uh you know th- this is that sort of movie where the good guys are good and the bad guys are are evil uh so i i can't really hold it against it all, all i can say is i i enjoyed it i wasn't extraordinarily thrilled by it and i think i liked the ideas it was going for much more than the actual experience of walking through them um yeah i don't know chris if you want to jump in yeah. Um, first, I just wanted to address the the those violent characters that you talked about. I, I think that like, while they may have seen excessive or just evil, like I think that we have we have plots from from other stories like Lord of the Flies, where you know people are set in these two different groups and like they just become violent naturally. Um, but you have like actual people doing real life experiments with like I was just listening recently to an episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast and they talked about a thing where like they had these two groups of boys in this camp but they like kept them isolated from each other and then slowly like taught them about the existence of the other groups 
and then simply because they were aware of each other and they started to like get these ideas of the other group being inferior to them they ended up like literally warring with each other and like they had to constantly be broken up and um like that is an actual thing like if, if this existed there are people who um i think people would become violent and zealous like they've lived on this train for 17 years i think over time they would become more and more evil and sort of indoctrinated into the like we are we are here they are there they are trying to come in and also the people the head of the train know a little bit more about the construct of of the system that governs the train um so they have a lot more the people in the back obviously are suffering um, because of the conditions there, so they have reason to be extremely violent. And the people in the front don't want them in because that could threaten their very way of life. So I completely bought it. While it's it's definitely heightened and and made uh, a little bit more extreme than it had to be. Like I totally bought the the evilness of some of those characters and the way their hierarchy works and who they obey and like. I, I totally thought that was authentic, that they would, like, there would be some people in the head of that, that group that would be just, like, pretty much pure evil. Is that... Yeah, yeah I, I can I, buy I that. that. Uh, um, but now, moving on from them, I just want to say, like, I, I really, really enjoyed this film. Uh, I, you know, I saw it in theaters a few weeks back, and, uh, you know, getting ready for this review, decided to watch it again. Um, had a little viewing party at the house, uh... You know, my roommates, uh, one of my roommate's sisters, and then one of her friends came over and we all watched it or rented it on iTunes. And we all sat down and just kind of, you know, enjoyed watching this film again together. Um, and I think we, we can have like a little, maybe a little spoiler section at the end just to be able to talk more in, uh, in depth about uh, some of the themes. But I think like overall, um, th- there, there are definitely things that you sort of have to give over to the film and almost view them as a metaphor for a real system that would be existing to keep the sci-fi elements of this film um, intact. Like, I kind of view it as, like, this exact same premise, but set in, like, the last city of mankind that's protected from the cold instead of being this train, just because there there are certain elements that they just, because they can't present it to you in the film, um, they kind of just gloss over and kind of just, you accept that this is how it works, but you don't necessarily see that that system could work you know, spaced into a single train car or anything like that. Um, but when you look at just the, when you step back and like look at the film as a whole, I think it's really awesome. I love that, uh, the, the class system that is set up on the train, like there's even Tilda Swinton's little monologue in the middle where she's explaining about being a shoe, um, and where the shoe is supposed to go and stuff. She talks about how at the beginning of, you know, the train, your class and society was not determined by your class in society, but literally by the ticket you had purchased, which, let's be mm-hmm. honest, is related to your class in society. But maybe somebody had saved up a bunch of money or cashed in everything they had to get a first class ticket, and they now are a member of this first class society within the train. Because it's really just like, it's not just what your status was out in the in what used to be the real world. It's like once you got on the train, whatever ter- uh, ticket you purchased is where you are in this system. And that's where you are stuck forever. I think... Really, the the um, the one thing that I really wish uh, that could have gone deeper in the film is I, I wish it wasn't uh, just uh, 17 years on this train um, mm-hmm. because there is some stuff like when 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 like Tilda Swinton is constantly talking about the sacred engine and like all this stuff and 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 talking about how uh, you know Wilfred the you know the merciful and like he does all this stuff and we all have to worship the sacred engine and I feel like 17 years 
uh, isn't enough time for the the zealousness and the worship of the engine itself to really crop up. Like, if there was multiple generations have grown up on the train, if there was literally, like, nobody alive left on the train remembers Earth, they only remember the train, then I think that we would lose the true knowledge, uh, like, characters would no longer have true knowledge of of the systems of the train and just have what was passed down to them, and it would, it would, uh, it would allow for some of these themes to be... Um, better uh, explain like if there was a cyclical nature to the train and like each generation gets passed down to them the knowledge of the generation before uh, it would be really interesting to see how sort of like the almost like the religion of the train had changed over like a hundred years instead of just 17 years where yes we have some people who were born on the train and never knew the outside world but like most of the adults were all alive well, all the adults were, were alive when um when there was an earth and not just this train uh, that, that I think would allow you to go deeper into the story and, and, uh, like I would love to be able to see that in it, but I think overall, uh, it, it's, 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 it's definitely an interesting, um, I don't know. I lost my train of thought, but I, I thought the movie was right. I was, I was attempting to go too deep and then I like fell into limbo <laughs> oh no and now i need your, one of you guys to come get me went off the rails <laughs> exactly yes it did <laughs> um i don't know somebody say something while i try to regain my my thoughts chugga chugga choo choo <laughs> somebody else say something. <laughs> I, 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 i'm gonna say something which maybe doesn't make sense because it's been a long time since i've seen it but the the action in this movie reminded me kind of weirdly of equilibrium considering the plots are fairly different despite them both being kind of dystopian uh futures there but was I, no I got, like uh gun kata though yeah i don't know i got that same feeling of like but no i i, I, don't, I don't know exactly the, it had a similar like ballet the slice, the slice ballet of fighting i don't, yeah. I don't know exactly well no it, it, it's it's actually funny my roommates and i were, were talking about this very thing not 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 directly related to just the action but the film as a whole because uh you know, I drove a ways to see Equilibrium, eh, Equilibrium when it first came out in theaters, um, but that was a super limited release also. It wasn't available to everybody. It was before the days of VOD, um, and it was one of those things where, like, now when you bring up Equilibrium, everybody's like, oh, dude, that movie was, like, really rad, and it was it was definitely a, a vision of a society that was set a certain way, and, um, you know, there was, like, the powers that be, and there was, like, the normal people, and it was a lot about, like, questioning whether the system you're stuck in works. So it was, like, limited release film, somewhat similar themes, you know, not like super mainstream, uh, high budget film, uh, that people had to discover long after it was a thing. And I think that Snowpiercer fits that like exactly. Like I, I think most people weren't even aware that this thing existed unless you're in the circles that follow this type of thing. Um, and also a Weinstein movie, the equilibrium. There you go. So this, this, it, this is all kinds of connections. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot to, uh, you know, we didn't have Sean Beam in there to uh, poss- possibly get killed. But. <laughs> to die. <laughs> Sean Beam should have played uh, the apocalypse, obviously. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. Yeah, I, he should have played the snow. Oh, got you. <laughs> Could have voiced the snow. I don't know what I'm talking. I, I, did, I, I did find myself, by the way, in a kind of unrelated note but when i was trying to figure out the motivation behind the characters 
I kept wondering throughout the movie, why does the back train exist? Like, why do why do they keep them there? And it, it is answered toward the end, but for a while, this was really frustrating me. Yeah. In the movie, like, if you're if you're going to torment people, why would you why would you keep them alive if they're not working and they're not uh, they're not creating anything? But anyway, well, that, well, also, that well, part is answered later, so I was happy with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, but also there's the sense that like e- even regardless of the the true answer that comes is when when you are the last remnants of humanity uh having bodies period is important uh mm-hmm. even for the sake of like let, let, let's say that uh there is nothing let's just say that everybody is happy like maybe the people in the back of the train don't have to eat protein bars maybe they get like uh they get like captain crunch and um you know bananas and maybe the people in the front are still eating steaks and stuff but like the back life isn't terrible it's just not that great um and uh there'd be a scenario in which the people in the front of the train are no longer of child you know bearing age and they would still need a population of their own to pull people from and elevate into the higher ranks to allow for humanity to continue right like so Mm -hmm. i like there isn't a a good sense there, there there's no reason uh to eliminate massive amounts of your population unless it becomes necessary for some reason so i think that uh there would always be a reason for the train the back part of the train even if it wasn't the reason that this film maintains mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah i think i i could live with that during it during the film i kept having having trouble with this question only because they're um the dictator style of these people was not hidden it wasn't like they were seeming very friendly and then there was just a dark undercurrent they were they were very very outwardly violent and oppressive yeah in a way that definitely made me wonder like what are you what are you doing with these people um i i did definitely think though that the overall themes of the movie were were interesting i feel like i've seen seen this idea before of um I, I don't really know how to explain the idea without going into spoilers too much, <laughs> so maybe I should just wait. Uh, the broad the broad motivation of the oppressors regarding the oppressed. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely some interesting things to unpack there, but maybe too spoilery to talk about right now. Yeah, well, we'll definitely do a little spoiler section for uh, talking about it, but like in a more in a more general non-spoilery sense, it is very, you know, it's very Hunger Gamesy, um, and many other films. Uh, that are all just like splitting off in my head. Obviously, there's no games on the train. <laughs> yeah, the justifications for the cast yeah, yeah, system yeah. and why everyone is important, blah blah blah. It, Some are more importanter than others. And, and that's also too <laughs> when I talked about like the train cars being sort of like bigger metaphors than supposed to be literal represent- representations. Because there's parts where they're passing through like, like there's one there's one car of the train which is literally just a rave. So like mm-hmm. nobody there has food or beds. They're just constantly raving. So obviously, <laughs> obviously that's like, there's no way that's supposed to be literal. Like these people are just they're like kind of like the the levels of hell or something that he's yeah. going through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it's like there there there's there's some sense to which this is just supposed to be representative of the people in this class of the car. It's not supposed to be like a one to one realistic like all these people do is like snort chrono and rave constantly and never eat or sleep or do or, or crap or anything like that and, and what about the fish people do they need that many people to gut fishes <laughs> well, 
about? <laughs> Wait, are you, are, was that what the do car they do most? making the protein packs or whatever? What, what are they doing most of the time? <laughs> Wait, dude, they're the, just. The, are you not talking about the sushi car? No, no, no. I'm talking about the the axe men. That 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 scene, I honestly was a little confused at like. So, well, in in spoilers, I'll I'll, I'll talk about it, but. Uh, I am of the belief that that car was compiled at the time that the revolt was starting for a specific mm. reason. Um, and okay. I'll explain so why that is. So the fish were irrelevant in that moment? Huh? The the fact that he was cutting fish was irrelevant? I think that was that some moment. sort of intimidation tactic. One of the people that I watched the film with was under the assumption that maybe the fish was poisonous. <laughs> and like <laughs> they were like, even if I cut you and you don't die, you'll die later. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> who, who knows what the hell that was supposed to mean um mm-hmm. uh, and obviously that fish came back into play <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's true um but anyways um shoot carson do you have any more thoughts well, i I, th- I think that yes yeah, so we can all agree that the the movie has very similar themes to other dystopian sci-fi films but uh i think this movie has enough of its own flavor to set it apart from the rest. I think it's definitely like an equilibrium that it could... It, it is it literally will. like an equilibrium. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like an equilibrium in that it will live on, I think, over the years and be uh, watched and, you know, people will find it... Um, and appreciate it it won't just go away i think it definitely has some staying power yeah and and i think for if anybody is like um listening to us and and it sounds like we're not getting it sounds like we're not bringing that much substance to the conversation it's because literally this film is a film about discovering the world as you move from car to car so right everything that we would really want to talk about is all spoilery so it's hard to um discuss the themes without discussing the themes so you guys agree? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, let's yeah. Give our review and jump into spoilers. Yeah, that sounds good. So, uh, as as Stephen just said, we're gonna do we're gonna give you guys the verdict and then close this out. But then, if you stick with us, if you've already seen the film, uh, we will talk some more in depth spoilers. So for now, Carson, if you were gonna give us a must see, a recommend with a caveat, a wait for rental, a pass with a caveat, or a must avoid, what would you give it? Uh, I would definitely give it a uh, must-see. I think that uh, f- for all the uh, for all its uniqueness, it's definitely worth seeing. Uh, if you can, you know, see it, if it's still playing in theaters somewhere, uh, you know, definitely see it in theaters. But I'm glad that it's now on VOD because now more people will be able to get a chance to watch it. So, uh, I, yeah, I definitely think like for all of the you know all the themes and and the uh, the way that it's handled i think is really well done and it definitely stands out for sure and that's you know that's a plus cool uh steven yeah i'm heavily debating right now <laughs> i'm teetering between a few things i think if if i were just going on my own personal reaction to the film as i went through it without the hindsight of the ending or the last uh the last act to inform what was going on, I would have maybe been on the rental side where I feel like it's very interesting and worth seeing, but not not really something to rush out and see. But I do think that 
the as I think about the movie and especially imagining that other people's reactions were probably more visceral than my own, um, I've I've got a I'll give it a recommend with a caveat. Um, the caveat being, I did not think this movie was in any way uh, perfect. I definitely thought the dialogue, for the most part, was fairly fairly contrived and while the action was visually very cool it also didn't it didn't always feel substantive in a way that i would like to but it was offset by very cool imagery and a premise that i think is extremely interesting i I just think maybe given that premise more could have been done to uh to flesh out the the themes of the movie maybe at the expense of a few people getting chopped to bits with axes (laughs) um (laughs) So yeah, r- recommend with a caveat. I'll say, um, Chris, I, I will take I will take uh, Stephen's job of explaining that our rating system doesn't make any sense uh, because we are touting a VOD release. Um, our must see recommendation is technically a you don't have to wait anymore for rental. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm going to give this the, the quality of 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 it being a must see. Uh, you know, as Carson said, if you can get out to a theater somewhere near you. Um, to see it like I had to drive a bit of a distance to actually see it in theaters a couple weeks ago so I don't know if it's even still available anywhere um, but you know it's, it's available for VOD I you know rented it for six ninety nine I think on iTunes the more I think of it I should just pay the nine ninety nine and bought it <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> iTunes really needs to add a like once you've rented it like pay the extra three dollars to just own it um, mm-hmm it, it seems like that would be a feature they could do pretty easily if they like making less money. Yeah. Well, no. Well, well yeah, true. But but I mean, if you think of it, like if you buy four tracks from an album in iTunes, is this is going way off the rails? But uh, if if you uh, you know buy four tracks from an album in iTunes, there's a button that says, you know, buy complete your album for you know the cost of the mm-hmm. album minus the cost of the tracks that you bought. Same with TV series too. Yeah, so yeah. so like that is a, a they literally already programmed this. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You should be like, did you like this rental? They, all they have to do is make it so you have to do it within the twenty four hour period of the rental. And they- I, I think what they're afraid of maybe is that this will cannibalize from the the people who were going to like a lot of people might buy something yeah right away because they feel like renting is a. Uh, it's too ephemeral like you don't get to keep anything yeah and maybe if they knew they could watch it and then decide they're afraid that they're not going to get as many uh but i don't know well the, the way the I way i kind of view it though is that like chances are i'm only going to watch this movie once um just because i'm watch, i'm consuming so much content that i don't have time to go back and rewatch movies like i have a queue of movies on my computer that i still haven't watched so why would i prioritize a movie i've already seen um so I go, what's the cheapest I can spend? Like, I almost rented the SD version uh, because mm-hmm. I, my, I'm in the living room where we were all watching it. I have an older Apple TV that's only 720p anyways. Um, so I wasn't going to bother with the HD version. But the HD version is is the same price for rental. So I was like, okay, well, I'll get... So I, I always go, like, what's the cheapest I can get this movie for? Um, but if it's not that much more for HD, I'll get that. If it's not that much more to rent, to actually buy it, I might as well just buy it. But... Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I th- I think they could fix the system. I think they would get more three dollar amounts from me than they would if, um, yeah. Anyways, so if you're from Apple, call in and uh, yeah. If you're listening, Apple, explain get on yourself. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, it's a must see for me. And, and also, my little anecdotal thing is, like I said, I had a little mini viewing party with it, and so it was. Uh, there was five of us there, um, and which isn't you know like I don't know what what your 
official sample size has to be before your metrics actually mean anything. But I had five people with varying taste in films, and you would expect at least one of those people to not be on board if there's anything about this film that makes it not worthy of seeing. But all of us uh, very much enjoyed it and thought it was a great concept for a film. And uh, yeah, so I'm giving it a must-see. Uh, so you guys should go check it out. Like I said, six ninety nine on Amazon. You can buy it for like nine ninety nine or something. Um, but people go out and watch it and uh, give money to the film because there should be more movies like this being made. So yes. All right. Stephen Stephen took the Calvary position on this one. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and now we're gonna ride off to the sunset. Ride off into yes. the sunset. Uh, as we discuss spoilers for the film. But first. Um, you know, we don't need to say where we're from. People should stick and listen to the spoilers. Go rent the movie and then come back and listen to the spoiler section. So I'm actually going to be Stephen Miller for the spoiler section. I'm going to be Carson Patrick. Yeah. This movie was badass. <laughs> this was a super coked out movie. <laughs> it was for it was Yeah, I'd say it would qualify I think it would have been better if Shane Black directed it. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was cool how they connected this uh, when it ran into a giant fire-breathing monster, and it became How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on that note, I'm going to fade up the music that you're hearing right now, and then when the music goes away, we're going to talk spoilers. We are back. You are now chugga chugga choo chooing into spoiler territory where we are going to be discussing full blown spoilers for the Snowpiercer. Um, so at this point, if you're listening and you haven't seen the film, uh, you know, pull the little line that you know sets off the brakes, stop the train, hop out, freeze to death outside the train, and uh, we'll join. I really hope. I really hope Chris puts in like locomotive noises and like snow effects. I, I could. I could pull back that that track from. Uh, uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, <laughs> where they're going up the little mountain. Uh, yeah. Anyways, I know what you're talking about. We're here. Steven knows. I put I put the music in that episode for him. Um, yeah. But anyways, we were talking about Snowpiercer. Uh, before we get into the general themes, I just wanted to go back to in the regular episode, Steven, you mentioned uh, the the guys you referred to as the fish guys. Um, at a point in the in the film. They open up the gates, and there is just a a sea of dudes wearing masks, wearing body armor, and all holding axes, um, just waiting for them to uh, fight them. And uh, as awesome as it looks to have the doors open and just see a bunch of guys standing there in a completely empty car waiting to have this, like, fight to the death with these guys. You know, on the one sense, it sort of doesn't make any sense. Uh, having watched the film a second time, though, in the cars before that, when they first break through and they're like, yeah, we, you know, we took these first few cars and now we're walking through here. There's characters making comments about like, why is there nothing but empty beds in this car? Like they're commenting mm-hmm. on the fact that like there used to be people here. Now there aren't. And, oh, oh, the characters in the context are like complaining about like, well, why the hell do we live in these like makeshift uh, racks in the back, in the, in the, in the foot of the train when there are all these beds here and we could totally live here. Um, what what I took that to be is that um, as the especially considering the context of the rest of the film where 
we know that in order to manage the population of the train, we have to weed out the, we have to let revolts happen, actually incite revolts so that a bunch of people die so that we can have less people on the train. Um, so I think what happened is as the revolt was getting ready to start, the people who were running everything from the front came to the back, pulled people out of, of those cars, put them in this thing and said, hey, look, these guys are in the middle of a revolt. We're going to give you weapons. Um, maybe they gave them some sort of thing like, hey, we'll give you this if you can stop them from getting here. And they actually pulled them out of all those rooms with the empty bunks, put them in this combat car um, where, you know, even at the end, uh, when he's talking to Wilford, he says, you know, like, oh, the revolt was never supposed to make it further than the bridge. Uh, so they were like, it wasn't just a, a car where people stand around in masks with axes. It was a car that was set to end revolts that start to weed out the population. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would I, agree. I would agree. They're just, if it weren't for the fish, <laughs> I would have felt that. The fish really made me think that this was supposed to be a place where they butcher things. But there were so many of them, it couldn't possibly be. Like, it takes one guy to make the protein stuff, and then there's a hundred people making fish. <laughs> <laughs> I think you keyed in way too much on the fish. It's a big moment for me. <laughs> Steven got really hung up on the but fish. But no, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. I just have, I don't. And knowing again with the hindsight you get from the end of the film that this is about population control and about keeping, keeping the ecology of this like closed system in balance, I can understand that. Though it does seem like, unless they planned exactly how many of both sides would have fallen, then sending this massive amount of people to fight with axes yeah. who are presumably of a group that you aren't trying to weed out um, would feel a little strange, especially when you would think they could do... I, I don't know. I, I guess I also had an issue with them. Um, not not really an issue, but it was strange how easily they advanced. Like, you would think this overwhelming force mm. of... Uh, was, is his name Wilfred? <laughs> yeah, Wilfred. Wilford, not the, not the bunny that uh, Elijah Wood sees or <laughs> dog. dog or whatever it is. Yeah. Or, and anyway, he, he's he would, Ed Harris's character. Yeah, Ed Harris. Uh, <laughs> if he really is so powerful and in control of the train, it ju- it just felt strange the way that they kind of throw one little thing after another, but we're not massacring. Like, like, not just immediately destroying them. And, and again, by the end of the movie, you kind of understand why that is. But it, as a conceit, it felt more like a way to get to advance to different levels and have a bunch of cool fights than it did what I would do if I were the dictator in control of the train who just needs 74% to be, uh, to be exterminated. Yeah. Well, I, I think also, like, the... the... You know, once once again, they were never supposed to make it past the bridge. Like it, it, Mm -hmm. the Ed Harris in all his grand planning was not able to, uh, to figure out that, you know, the dude would have like three matches in a sock while he was locked in, um, you know, the little solitary confinement chamber, (laughs) um, like he couldn't have anticipated that. So that's like, it was, it was supposed to be like, Sure, some of them will die in the initial fight, but once we hit the bridge and everybody's got their, you know, their splinter cell goggles on, like, it'll be way too easy to kill them off. So, um, I think the, 
the fighting before the bridge was supposed to knock out some of the the you know the geared axemen and then once mm-hmm. they hit the bridge only <laughs> foot passengers were supposed to actually die at that point so i think mm-hmm. there was some factor into that we'll lose some while there's light and then once there's no light we'll just completely destroy the uprising and then um things will theoretically go back to normal even though you put everybody in body armor and then the only way to really get them to move back into their cells would be to come at them with guns, but they're all wearing armor. So part of that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. But it looks badass when you come out and like everybody's it, got masks over the top half of their head. Yeah. It, it, it does. It does look badass. I think I had the, I had the cynical viewing experience of while recognizing it looking badass thinking like, uh, this is just because it looks badass, <laughs> which, which is not not a bad thing for a movie to do. But I did, I did feel time at times in this movie that it was more concerned with getting the cool fight than it was with uh, having a reason or logic behind the cool fight scene. But you, but the the other thing too is like there there's a like when you step back and look at it, there's a lot of things that happen in that scene. Like we, we not only do we get the fight. We get the teasing of what, like, you know, when, when Tilda Swinton's like, oh, se- precisely 74% of you will die. Uh, we kind of mm-hmm. don't, like, we don't understand the true context of what she's saying there. We just know that she's, like, saying, like, oh, we expect a bunch of you people in the back to get killed because, like, that's why we've amassed this force. Like, you don't really know the true meaning behind where the, how that calculation was made. Um, so you, you, get, you get the teasing, this, you get the setup for that, you get the... Uh, you get our first really understanding of the year cycle of this train. Um, you get to realize that like everybody in the back is confused when everybody like stops fighting and starts chanting three, two, one, happy new year. Um, so clearly there's, it's not just like first class and last class. There's several different class systems in between that all have a concept, a knowledge of um, the year passing in the train and even celebrate the new years every time they cross over this bridge. Um, also you get the whole fact that like this there there is the bridge itself is a a, is a dangerous enough thing that any event taking place there's like always an immediate ceasefire while they're passing over the bridge because you know there's there's ice that is formed over the like there it's a yearly there's a celebration that's yearly there's also the treacherousness of the fact that the train is so high up in the mountains that like you have to be careful and everybody needs to brace themselves as they pass over this gap and then, um, yeah, I'm starting to lose my train of thought again. But, but you know, like we're, we're getting so much information just from the interaction of this fight that I think that mm-hmm. while, yes, it is just there to be badass, I think that they earn its badassness by um, implanting all of this other, uh, like, nuggets of information that are paid off later in the film during this fight. Yeah, and, and, and I definitely hear you. The, the way that it stops... And everyone suddenly just pauses their fighting and ducks to the ground. Like, I thought that was very, uh, very cool. A- again, it did strike me as a little bit of a, the kind of twisted Hunger Gamesy thing of, like, the violence is all to some higher power. The violence is all just, like, minuscule fun, kind of. It's, like, not a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, this is all, like, hoops that we're jumping through and we're just pawns in this game. Yeah, and Stanley uh, Tucci yeah, is going to be that part. talking to the citizens. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I definitely thought that that was interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, how did you guys... First, first I'll talk about Ed Harris, and then I'll talk about the very, very end of the movie. Okay. Um, 
First, what did you think of the Ed Harris character and his motivations behind what he does, particularly the fact that he's using little kids to help run a part of the engine? Um, like, I at least... I, I found the broader philosophy of what he was saying to be a very interesting idea, which, if I have seen it before, and I've probably seen something like it, it was still definitely uh, original enough to be... Uh, kind of a cool philosophic question of, like, if you're this person in charge of keeping humanity around, um, what are you willing to sacrifice for what you believe are the broader broader ideals? Uh, but at the same time, some of the things, like, especially using little kids in the gears to, like, push things just felt... Again, it felt so, like, broadly evil that it didn't mesh to me with this belief that this guy is idealistic and is doing what he thinks is best. Uh, it felt much more like a, like, comic book levels of evilness <laughs> that, that a person would do. Well, I, I want Carson to address it first because I, in, in order to, I have to dive back into something I said in the podcast to continue along that train of thought to explain it fully. Um, so, Carson, what did you think about it? Uh, I mean, that didn't really bother me. I thought that the reveal of that was... Um... Was I wasn't expecting that. Um, oh, I called it. <laughs> Carson actually has little kids in the floor of his apartment. <laughs> they do all the cleaning John Wayne, for him. Gacy, Carson. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, no, I just, I, obviously I knew that they were being taken and, and used for something, but. I, I, honestly, just real fast ju- into jumping in. In what capacity, I don't know. I, I was really, really scared. Um, so we already talked about, uh, uh, sorry, I know I said, Carson, you talk and then it's I, the Calvary effect, right? I, I just want, I just want to say something <laughs> real fast is when watching the movie in the theater the first time we had just seen, we had just had the scene where Chris Evans breaks down and talks about how, um, you know, and he, he was the man with the knife and he has, he has eaten people before and he knows babies taste best. And there was that, that, you know, great moment. Um, I thought for sure watching the movie that when Ed Harris brought the steaks and, uh, uh Oh, yeah. And he was like, oh, just sit and eat with me and we'll have a conversation. I thought for sure there was going to be a moment where Chris Evans takes a bite and recognizes the taste of child. Um, they didn't go down that route, but that would have been crazy. that's where I thought it was going <laughs> before. So anyways, back to back to Carson. I think I might have preferred that. <laughs> um, that would have been that would have been pretty cool. Uh, but um, no, I mean, I... I was on board with what Ed Harris was doing, you know, train. <laughs> I don't know, but anyway, yeah, it, um, don't you? It, it also is funny to me that someone can be typecast for the role of benevolent, meaning puppeteer. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> when I saw like, what movies has Ed Harris done this in the Truman Show? Yes, this movie. Uh, I feel like there's got to be more where he's also been like the person in charge who <laughs> the Rock believes he's doing what's best, but is really doing something despicable in the theater when, when i saw it somebody in my audience literally as as soon as the reveal happened said of course it's him <laughs> <laughs> just like shutter island no, it was totally, and i laughed because like i was like in my head i thought the same thing i was like oh yeah of course naturally yeah well the fact that he is in it i mean it's clear that he was playing this character since he didn't show up for you know the he's billed pretty highly previous runtime yeah, yeah. Um, well, I didn't look at IMDb, so I didn't know he was in it, and I didn't—I wasn't paying attention to any 
intro credits or anything like that. So I didn't. It was a it was a big reveal to me. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think if they no. I guess I saw his name on the poster. So anyway, um, also I, I don't I, know where I was. So in, we could in, just in that same vein. I I really liked uh, uh, the main the Chris Evans reveals about his dark past. Like I thought it definitely it added a lot to the movie and the motivations of a character that a character that hitherto has just been kind of heroic for no reason. Yeah. And it also made some of his lines about leadership and how can I lead with two arms make yeah. a whole lot more sense and feel less cheesy than what, what I felt at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. When he first um, says it, it's a little bit weird, but I, I really love the payoff of that. And especially just the fact that like he says that, um, and, and Gideon, whatever his name is like lifts up his collar Gideon. and you see, you see the uh, the scars on his forearm and stuff like that. Like I thought that was really really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was obviously the scene I was referring to before. And, and okay, so Ed Harris's character has a lot to say about how this was all pre preordained and he meant for all of this to happen. In particular, that Gilliam was in on it with him, whereas Gilliam says, "Don't let him speak. Cut out his tongue the moment you see him." What do you think the movie had a truth that it wanted us to believe in that regard, or was it more supposed to be? Well, I, I nothing is clear anymore. I, I, I took that to mean. Well, do, do you want me to go back to my other thing first, or should we? Yes. Okay. So hold on. Let me get a card. Go fast. Write down truth of movie. <laughs> <laughs> truth of movie. All right. Real fast with the kid thing. Um, in in the normal episode, I was talking about, uh, or the normal part of the episode. I kind of discussed how I wish that this was longer, a longer than 17 year stretch. Um, what I think would have been really interesting is if, you know, nobody alive in the context of the film was alive when the train started. And that, you know, w- when we meet Ed Harris and he starts explaining the system to, this will actually transition into the truth of the film. Uh, but like when he starts to explain to Chris Evans, like the conceit of what's going on and their plan to keep uh, the train balanced. And he says, I want to, um, I want you to take over the head of the train. Like, I want you to be in my position. I need to retire. I'm old. I want to stop doing this. Um, I, you know, y- you could watch the film and think of it as sort of like the Willy Wonka thing, where it's like Wonka is like giving over his chocolate factory to Chris Evans. The, the Lost thing. <laughs> Spoilers for Lost. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, exactly. Uh, but what what I, what I, I knew this wasn't the truth of the film, um, as you were asking, Stephen. But what I thought would be really powerful is if, uh, is if in that moment it wasn't just passing the torch; it was literally okay. I have bestowed upon you the truth of what this train is and why it happens. I want you to take the head of the train. I will go back and I will be Gilliam's role, and I will be in the tail of the train, and this whole cycle will start again. Uh, spoilers for the Matrix two and three. Uh, at the end of that film, you know, there's a character called the Architect, and he sort of explains to Neo uh, everything about um, what the Matrix is, how it works, and how how there have been other Neos in the past that have risen up and been faced with the same choice, where he can basically return to the Matrix and reset the entire system, and you know, we'll lose whole crops of human beings, but like everything will be good. We'll reset and rebuild, and things will be great. Or he could possibly screw over all of humanity and try to go save Trinity and um, completely destroy everything that's been in the cyclical motion over and over for all of eternity. And he has to make that choice. I feel that like 
in in this moment, it would be really interesting if it was this cycle that has been going on for all time, and that if uh, you know Chris Evans at this point has the choice to to either agree to like it's all about convincing him that everything he's thought for the last seventeen years is wrong, and that all these evils that have bestowed all the people uh, or have been bestowed upon all the people. Uh, it is all necessary for keeping humanity alive as a whole and that he has to make the choice to agree that that's the way that it should be and that it's best for everybody involved. It's best for humanity as a whole if he then assumes this role and continues to do these things that he previously thought were evil. Um, if he has to make that decision to buy into the system in order to keep humanity alive, then it means that Ed Harris, if we're in the cyclical generations of people on this train type of storyline, it means that Ed Harris at one point was the revolter, had gotten to that point, had been told how the system works, and had decided to continue on that rule. So it's not, it's not that it, it, I don't feel that that would truly justify the evilness of who Wilford is, but I feel like it would, I could see how a person would decide that those, that, that is a necessary evil as opposed to just being evil himself. Um, mm-hmm. um, and if you go back to like the train sequence where uh, or the, tra- the whole thing is a train sequence. When you go back to the, the classroom sequence, um, you know, when, like, the song comes on, they're like, dun, 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 Wilfred is so freaking great. And, like, they're singing all the songs about how, like, and, like, the kids are being taught that, like, Wilfred is, is um, you know, this this great person who created this, like, nobody in the world believed Wilfred, but then he created this train, and now everyone's dead, and if we leave the train, we'll all be dead. All be dead. You know, like, there, there's this... Mm-hmm. There's this taking of the children's, indoctrinating them into believing the system, and it becomes mm-hmm. sort of this religion for the people. And I think that if the story spanned 100 years instead of 17, that... Right. I, I can see that as a steady state that it would hit after a little while. Yeah, and, and I think that that would be really powerful for just how Chris Evans was supposed to view and understand. Like, it, it, it makes more of a payoff for um, for reaching the end of the train and realizing that every... like you just needlessly slaughtered all these people and then now you have to make the decision to put them back into the condition you just tried to revolt against because you understand that without those conditions all of us die like i thought that would be like a really powerful um understanding of how the 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 world works and like a really just be a huge paradigm shift for chris evans um at that point in time that makes sense yeah i would have i would have liked that but i would have thought the motivations were better in that case, because as it stands, even as much as I liked when his character tells the truth about his past, yeah, I still, maybe I'm too optimistic about humanity. I still have trouble believing that people as they are now, if you gave them a month, would start eating babies. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I really, I feel, I still feel like there's enough innate goodness um, <laughs> that they would at least they would commit atrocities, but I don't yeah. know. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, think, I, I would have a lot more trouble believing this if it were more than 17 years. It's like, how long did it take the uh, the Donner Party to start eating people? Yeah, or? and they still, I don't <laughs> think they ate the children first. Well, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm assuming when the chemical they sprayed in the, the air that suspiciously sounds like the same chemical that uh, Lucy got in her abdomen from the drugs. <laughs> um, or Kurt Vonnegut's cat's cradle thing that freezes Yeah, yeah, the like, world. It, it's... Like, I, I think, I'm assuming that it wasn't an immediate freeze. It was a a 
progression that was rapid enough to freak people out. But I think that before they got on the train, they were already in that panic state. And yeah. And it was just people entered the train and there was enough supplies for a certain amount of time. And at one point, Wilford was like, oh, like, nope, we're not supplying food anymore. And then I think people were dying and people were eating them already. Like, but they were they mm-hmm. weren't killing people to eat them. They were eating the people who died. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. And eventually got to the point where they ran out of people they could eat without killing. And then it went on. Um, mm-hmm. But going going then to your truth of, of, of the film that we're supposed to believe what I took it to, like, I, I, I keyed in on that phrase that you were saying where, where um, Gilliam tells him to cut out his tongue. Um, don't let, you know, just cut, don't let him talk, cut out his tongue. I think mm-hmm. that obviously Gilliam has been alive for multiple revolts. There's, I think, at least three different revolts that Ed Harris mentions at the end of the film. Um, I think that he, he always knows about, like, the, the system of the, like, the revolts that take place. But I think this is the first time that the person who's helping revolt um like i I think basically gilliam is is tired of the system and he realizes that it's it's going to continue on forever and humanity will never be saved we'll be stuck in this cycle forever and and there's no good like it would be better off if all humanity died and i think that he sees chris evans and, and 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 the fact that he was once one of the guys going like he you know the fact that he killed uh what's his face his mother and then was gonna eat him until gilliam cut off his arm uh, he sees his transition, the transition he's gone through, and he can't bear the thought of Chris Evans learning the truth of of the system and learning that, like, I mean, if you've been stuck in this train for 17 years and the one person you looked like, your entire life and motivation is based on this one man who did an act in front of you that changed who you are as a person, to find out mm-hmm. that that act was, like, all in service of a lie um it, like like not not that act itself but the person who you believe more in in this world than anybody else has been lying to you the whole time and the exact thing you've been fighting against has been held up by this man that you look up to that would be a pretty crushing blow and i think that that the reason gilliam was like cut out his tongue don't let him speak was because first of all he 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 saw chris evans as somebody who could make it to the end of the train instead of being mm-hmm. somebody who would fail like the way they're supposed to but also that he didn't want him to know the truth, um, that he wanted this all to end and to spare, if he could spare one person the the truth of finding out what's really going on, that Chris Evans was a man worthy of, of uh, being saved from this. And even if all humanity dies, if he can spare him and let him die, knowing that he accomplished something, that that would be better than him finding out the truth that's that was, that was a really long-winded way of saying that that's what i think the truth of the movie is so so you do but then so you do believe it is true that he had been colluding in the past with wilford i do you don't you don't think that's just a a lie meant to mess with chris evans head or get him to i i, I believe it because um you know like the 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 pieces of paper come from the front of the train and they go to the end and who receives them at the end and who interprets them it's always Gilliam. He's always the one interpreting. Mm-hmm. They also kind of like they show throughout the film without really spending too much time about it that every, uh, you know, the trademarked W logo for Wilford, um, all those insignia around the train can be flipped over and there's a there's a phone there. Um, so I feel that like there's probably one all the way in the tail where Gilliam usually is hanging out when Chris Evans is up in the front sleeping 
and that that would have mm-hmm. all like he kind of has his own little like castle in the back that he's there's certain points in time where he's not being bothered and i think that there was ample opportunity for them to literally be talking every night um about what they're going to do and when when the messages being passed back are a single word but gilliam always knows how to interpret that and what that's supposed to mean i think that there's enough evidence in the film to suggest that they really were in in working together um Mm-hmm. So that's I'm I'm assuming that you don't feel that way, Stephen. I'm unsure. Okay. Uh, the the reason I'm unsure is I felt I felt like I was not supposed to believe it, in given the fact that Gilliam does tell this line about cut out his tongue, don't let him speak. I saw that to mean like he's a master manipulator, he's a deceiver. Don't uh, don't give him the chance. But then. Because at the end you don't get this payoff of him rising up and calling him a liar so much as revolting against the whole system, I, I was unsure. I, I found it to be a, uh, an interesting place where it wasn't clear to me what the truth of the world is supposed to be. Yeah. And on that note, I think uh, he does rise up in the end and make decisions. Uh, well, he and he and the girl and her father, uh, which, I mean, I guess this is spoiler section. Like, they basically, they try to escape the train and in the process kill pretty much everyone. Yeah, all all of humanity except Everybody. for the, the girl and the boy. Yeah, so that little it's boy and girl are going to have to procreate at some point. Yeah. Um, Old that man a polar bear. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> and, and how long, that means polar bears have been there the whole time. Right. Yes. Yeah. So it's always been livable conditions. Well, for a polar bear. Yeah, but they're not. A polar bear isn't that much more adept than us with a nice coat. Well, well, <laughs> I don't. Maybe see. the polar bear has been hibernating for seventeen years. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe he was on his own train, the Polar Express. I can see you weaving the tracks of that together. About to say it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you, were, you were laying the groundwork for that one for a while. And, anyway, what did you think of that ending? I really liked the the fact that uh, they went for it. Um, the fact that everyone died and uh, all there's left is the small black child and an Asian woman. Uh, I feel like someone might not be okay with that. I don't know, because it was clearly like Adam and Eve uh intentions there i don't know well it would, it would, I, I think it would have to be <laughs> well yeah yeah but i'm just saying like i don't know where i was going with that but i, I feel like that yeah I, I mean i don't know how like they would be able to survive like i mean i know that they there's all those the constant talk of uh you know that the the snow is melting and everything and that it's not as bad as it seems or whatever um but uh yeah i don't know like i guess that's just left to the imagination of how they're going to start over but i i mean i liked it i like that they went for it um you know they didn't kind of they didn't kind of wimp out and do something different or at it least try to try to have like a happy ending, you know. Didn't it feel? And I know the plan wasn't to derail the train. I don't believe. Yeah. Uh, but doesn't? I couldn't help but feel like. 
Chris Evans knowing what he knew and having control of the engine could have just stopped the train <laughs> in, in a way that doesn't <laughs> annihilate humanity. Right. That, that is true. And that that bothered me, like because he basically they basically unintentionally maybe, but they destroy everyone and then walk out as if like they're beginning their new life together. Right, yeah. Rather than mourning the near extinction of all of humanity as well, caused I, by them. I guess they didn't really care much for all the rich snobby people yeah but the tail also died y- yeah well, Octav- most I of mean, the octavia spencer was already gone she was already yeah, gone, most of the yeah. tail had already been killed off by had assault been rifles. killed off right well see here- so really all there was left was just the ravers in 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 a past episode of the podcast which is is probably the one that let uh, gary know that we had actually seen uh, snowpiercer um because i i'd made uh, an allusion to just the whole conceit of this train being in existence either way and and i felt like me myself let's, let's completely throw out the idea that anybody thinks that, that the outside of the train is livable um so we're all in this train let's let's even pretend like i'm in the front of the train like not i'm not in in, in ed harris's role but like let's say i'm in like the fancy the rave uh, not not the rave the other one where like it's just like the high class bar it looks like uh <laughs> great gadsby <laughs> like yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, let's just say that i'm in that one and i'm hanging out and like I'm like, oh, this is sweet. I got some foxy ladies over here, and we're just like sitting here sipping on our like alcohol and stuff, and this is super great. Like, just thinking of the system that we're involved in, like, it's not sustainable. Um, like, yes, we've created a system that's quote unquote sustainable. It's like a per- perpetual motion engine, and we're generating our own food sources. We can, for theoretically unlimited amount of time, we can continue to. Uh, uh let the population live forever let's just say that 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 let's say that's a fact and let's say that we don't know that the outside is now hospitable um the problem is that that's not surviving like it's not i don't view that as a nuclear war happened we happened to find a a bomb shelter there there's 50 of us alive and if we can just survive in here with this year's worth of food then we can eventually go above ground again and try to repopulate the planet and start from scratch. That's not what we're mm-hmm. dealing with here. We are dealing with a system that is closed off from the world. We have no we have no concept in our head of ever living outside of this train. We can only live in the train and that's it. Like I would want to die. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I don't know. Like the, so they wanted it is what you're saying. Well, no, I, I, like I, yeah. I just like me personally, I wouldn't want to be on that train. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like while the world's freezing and we're all tearing ourselves apart outside and the trains right there, my initial thought might be like, I should get on that train. Um, but once the train's going and I've been there, like I wouldn't make it 17 years before I'd want to kill myself or try to get off the trains. Like I would have been one of the, one of the, whatever seven that they talked about in the film that like tried to escape like Mm -hmm. that's i would be there because i would rather die trying to leave than be stuck in the system forever um so the film as a whole the idea of bringing down the train obviously like like as you as you acknowledge steven i don't think that they thought that blowing up that door they, they they were thinking oh we blow up the door that won't derail the train because it'll be a small enough explosion that it'll only blow up the door they didn't consider that oh the sound of the explosion would cause an avalanche that would derail the train like that that is mm-hmm. something that they just simply didn't think of um so maybe if they were in not in the mountains when they tried to blow the door then everything would have worked out totally fine 
but um, I, I think that we're, we're the, the idea of of the from from the film standpoint of ending all humanity. I don't see that as a huge loss. <laughs> Basically, is is the is the <laughs> is the, uh, the what I'm going for is like from the film standpoint, losing all of humanity. Even if everyone died, that like the girl and the boy didn't escape. I don't see that as tragic. That's almost like a better end for humanity than continuing to survive in this cycle because you, know, you can argue that that the longer we live, the less humanity we maintain um, because... Yeah, but you that is also a part of the class system which you would imagine a leader uprising. His goal is to make life better for everyone and do the best with what they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to decide that he is in the position to hit the red button which and i know the girl is the one that actually blew it up but chris evans gives her the matches knowing what's going to happen yeah yeah, yeah. And, and i think that there could be a system in which uh chris evans equal, like literally equalizes all of the cars and whoever's alive but but you know i don't know how easy that would be theoretically in the story but th- there is a thing where like we we survive in a way where all cars are middle class instead of upper class middle class and lower class like all cars are middle class or maybe all cars are semi lower class and then we figure out a way to survive but i think that like uh yeah i i think what what would have been even crazier um spoilers for say the mist (laughs) if people haven't seen the mist (laughs) i think it would be really crazy if no character had any idea of survivability outside of the train but having reached the end, Chris Evans kills Ed Harris, makes the decision that humanity, like like I kind of would, shouldn't live on because there's, there is no humanity left. Humans might be alive, but there is no humanity left. If he decides, or decides to derail the train on purpose, tries to kill everybody, everyone dies except for him, and he realizes that the world outside is livable, that would be pretty crazy. <laughs> That would have been pretty pretty mm-hmm. ridiculous. And he has to do like a triple scream. Because yeah. <laughs> at the moment, I got like Noah-type vibes, right? Where it's basically deeming that humanity can't carry on as it is. Yeah. And yeah. in the end, it's starting over. Yeah. Only in in that movie, Noah, with with his neglect of the human element and realizing that people are redeemable, is kind of the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and here I feel like it was seen, if not heroic, at least as a uh, as a decision that was better for humanity. And I'm not I'm not sure I agreed with that. I, I didn't feel like it was necessitated by what was happening. It seemed like there was still good and all good hadn't been destroyed already. And I, I get that the children are the innocent ones who escape. But there were also other kids <laughs> that he maybe could have not blown up. Yeah. But I, like I said, I, I'm glad that they they went with the ending that they did. It wasn't some kind of happier ending where Chris Evans took over the train, like you said, Chris, where he, you know, they stabilize everything and everyone's equal. And <laughs> Everybody gets sushi. Communism reigns. <laughs> right. Yeah, everyone gets sushi. Everyone gets to go to the rave. Um, I'm glad that, like, the plan you know didn't formulate as planned i mean it was it was messy and it just didn't really go the way anyone was expecting um so i appreciated the fact that that it went that way you know it wasn't just like i'm good now everyone else will be good yeah or something, i, I, I you think know? i think the film definitely needed a some sort of catastrophic end to the train itself 
regardless yeah. of whether everybody survives or um yeah like whether as long as it didn't end with like uh uh you know a a i referenced the movie earlier a day after tomorrow line like you know yeah. or no was it day after tomorrow was it sunshine with a line like i've never seen the sun so bright or something like that one of those movies ends with that line I would <laughs> guess that would be Sunshine. I haven't seen both of them in a long time. Yeah. So. Sunshine is awesome, by the way, if anybody hasn't seen it and they're listening to right. this. Uh, I, the day after tomorrow just ends with, like, the earth half frozen, like that shot. And I don't think there's any, like, voiceover or anything. So, some movie ends. Remember that was an ex-girlfriend's dad who, like, at a dinner table was like, I bet you this movie ends with the line, the skies, <laughs> or, the, the skies never look so clear or something like that. <laughs> Possibly. You're gonna to have to pop in your uh, copy of Sunshine, go to the end, and see if that yeah that well, line no, shows I up. I mean, oh well, yeah, I don't want to continue to joke about the the end of that because I think I remember a line that's similar that a certain character utters, mm. but I don't want to. Chris Evans also in Sunshine, by the way. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and actually, has <laughs> another scene involving mechanical stuff that he's gonna go inside <laughs> yeah man starts off both films with beards yeah yeah i think uh yeah <laughs> also important question how does he keep his head so nicely buzzed all the time that's true like everyone has mangly beards but he's got this perfect uh it's captain america it's lucas lee dude it's yeah yeah exactly. how he, is. he came out of the womb with that beard <laughs> uh, well no i mean they, they do say they have knives so i think i think what you do is you yes. open that little hole in the side of the thing you stick the knife out it, it gets, it gets, <laughs> oh, it gets super your killed or super killed yeah. super cooled you pull it super back cool. in and you just like quickly brush over and it just eats all those hairs longer than you expected and then bam perfect beard oh yeah, no the beard the, the beard was fine it was really uh the beard was a little bit overgrown but then when he takes when you see him with his hair on the top of his head it's like perfectly trim hmm. <laughs> like like he just came back from the barber shop yeah <laughs> Well, the, you know, the beanie that he wears, it's just like a self-trimming yeah. beanie. It's yeah. actually got steel okay. wool on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> he just scrapes his head. <laughs> All right. Anyway, is, is there any last themes in the film that uh, we need to discuss? I think I'm good. I don't think so. All right. I think that I am good also. Well, I, I just, from you guys, would, would you guys want to live on the train or would you like me want to either kill everyone or die yourself uh i guess if i i don't know it depends on what department i was in well just say it doesn't matter like in in your ideal situation but you can't be at harris i uh, i would probably get restless after a while and join like how you know chris evans and them did in revolt I'm so I'm not Milo in cavalry, so I don't like killing people. <laughs> um, I don't think I could live on the train, like unless. Well, I don't know if if you actually could reform things. I feel like you could, but maybe the train is too rigid a structure. Just by by nature, it's compartmentalized. Um, yeah, I I would be cool with stopping the train. I don't think I would. Uh, 
exploded and killed people. <laughs> um, I guess I'm the only nihilist here. So. I, think, I, get, uh, it, I guess, okay, so my, my issue is the very thing that makes Ed Harris an evil character is that he trivializes human life as a part of a broader philosophy, yeah. which is like, you know, the evil character in many, many movies uh, has something like this where they decide what's better for humanity is for this to happen, even if it means the loss of life. Yeah. And I don't feel like by ending all of that life for maybe a nobler goal, you somehow are out of the ethical well, see, like, <laughs> ethical problem of being that dude. Well, that, that's why like um, in, in, in my my generational version of the Snowpiercer uh, that I'm proposing, I, I don't think it makes it more forgivable, but I think if Ed Harris is removed from the person that invents the philosophy and he just has to be convinced of the philosophy, then mm-hmm. it, like, it doesn't make it forgivable necessarily, but it definitely means that, like, he he gets to a point through suffering where he realizes that, like, that suffering is actually a form of, of like, it's better than the alternative. Like that, it's a necessary evil, and that that by making it not his original philosophy, somehow that makes it more understandable that he could buy into it instead of just coming up with it because he led a bunch of people onto his train. Because theoretically, mm-hmm. he could have lived on the train with just it could be it could be his version of a yacht. You know what I mean? Like he has it's it's him on his awesome train, and he has staff that serves him and then 12 people survive until they all die. Like there's like, he could Mm -hmm. avoid freezing to death and live out his last few days feeling like, you know, a rich dude or something. But, um, if, if it's, if it's a cycle of working your way up to the front, deciding to have to take over the position at the front and be that evil because you understand it's necessary to keep, all of humanity alive then i i think there's something obviously tragic but there's at least an understanding of it, it it's it's easier to see him be desensitized instead of being mm-hmm. pure evil yeah yeah i can see that i i just think in general the ethics of movie going and maybe in life are that necessary evils make sense on paper but the human element means you don't get to you don't get to rationalize evil for a broader good yeah yeah um and yeah and maybe again the ending wasn't necessarily intentional on the part of the characters so i can i'm okay with that i just it it left a weird feeling i i felt like i was supposed to see it as a triumph rather than a tragedy and i'm not sure that i did what if everybody could just go to sleep on the train instead of like dying horrifically in an explosion? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, going to sleep would be fine. Okay. <laughs> so note to self. I, I would I would also be okay with them opening the door and it being too inhospitable and everybody dying. Like so they they it's, thought it, they could survive outside, but they yeah, didn't. Yeah, it's particular the fact that they thought they could survive, and yet were willing to put everyone else in danger. Yeah. Rather than making this broad decision that humanity is best if we all just go out and try to be free. Yeah. Yeah. So if at the end the the girl and the the small child just stepped out and immediately froze to death, then Steve would be like, "All right, nice. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Must see." So we extract this out to current political climate of the United States. No, just kidding. Climate. <laughs> nice. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, I think we're done. Yep. All right, well, thank you guys for joining me on this episode. <laughs> Thanks for having us. And uh, This is a long one. This is a pretty long Long one. episode. But ho- hopefully people enjoy it. Uh, if, if, if nobody enjoys this conversation, at least hopefully, Gary, the, this, this is well worth the request for you. Um, I'm assuming you've made it all the way to this part of the episode. <laughs> no, he hasn't seen the movie. He, didn't. <laughs> he, say, he, he said, lied. He said in his email that he, he had uh, yeah, seen it. So once again, we appreciate uh, your email. And um, hopefully this was uh, exactly what you were expecting from us. Or maybe something better than what you're expecting from us. So. Or not too much worse. <laughs> yes. Not too much worse. Uh, well, we're going to go off and try to be the shoes that we are. The rest mm-hmm. of you guys, tune in next week. We will see you guys all later. Mr. Wilford knew that CW7 would freeze the world. So what did the prophetic Mr. Wilford invent to protect the chosen from that calamity? Stops, we, we all freeze and die. But will it stop? Or will it stop? No, no. Can you tell us why? The, the engine, engine is eternal. Yes, the engine is forever. Yes. Rumble, rumble, rattle, rattle. Who is the reason why? Wilford Young. Wilford Young. Oh, I love that woman. <laughs>